Well, good morning. It's a real blessing and privilege to be here. I too want to add my appreciation and thanks for the picnic yesterday. The Lord was so, so good to us. Uh, this is a beautiful area up here. Uh, when you live in Hamilton, it's going north. But I want to thank everyone for their kindness. Christian, for bringing a, a convertible with the top down. <laughs> and we were able to uh, enjoy the country. I was out driving with a pretty blonde. So, <laughs> Would you take your Bible, please, and turn to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, going to begin to read at verse 5 down to verse 14. The I here is the Apostle Paul, the you here is the church at Corinth. Beginning at verse 5. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, for I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter so that you may be able to help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord as I am. So let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. May God bless the reading of his word. If you would, brother. Yes. Let's bow our heads and our hearts and seek the face of God. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story that we have just heard. We thank you for the power of the gospel. We thank you for the word of God that is able to change by the Holy Spirit a hard, sinful heart into one that is soft and tender and loves Jesus. We thank you that as far as the east is from the west, our sins if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, are separated from us and God no longer identifies us with our sin nor treats us according to our sin, but relates to us through the perfect righteousness and the shed blood of the Lord Jesus. We thank you that many here this morning know of that before and after when they used to be lost and dead in sin but are now alive in Christ Jesus. We pray for some who may be here this morning who do not know the Savior. We pray that even today, this will be the day of a new beginning for them and that you would be pleased to open their hearts and their minds and their lives so that they will no longer be what they used to be, but they will be a new creature in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you for this day. We want to thank you again for the picnic yesterday, we thank you for, as always, those people who work behind the scenes, who organize and
prepare food and, uh, and games and other things, and we just want to thank you for them. And may you bless them and encourage them in the Lord. We thank you for a beautiful day. We thank you for safety. We thank you that we were able to share the word and to share table fellowship. And we thank you, Father, that uh, as we begin a new season, that we do so in the strength and in the power and in the love and kindness of Jesus. Father, we would pray for Michael's mother today. Uh, those of us who are getting older, we know that it isn't easy. And so we pray for this dear lady. We pray as she's in the hospital that you would minister to her. We pray that uh, she would minister to others. And we pray that you would bless uh, Mike and Dana and the family as they have to travel the distance to minister to her and be with her. And may you encourage them and strengthen them for this great privilege. And we would pray for the dear folk in, in seniors' homes in Sudbury and around our province. Uh, we pray that you would minister to them. We thank you for those who do come faithfully to share the word of God with them. And we pray that uh, as they uh, are living out their final days, that they would seek the Lord with all their mind and heart and soul and strength, and that they'd be drawn to Jesus. And we pray for those who are believers in these homes, that um, they would gossip the gospel, that they would share the love of Christ with uh, their neighbors and friends. And we pray, Father, that uh, there would be a rich harvest in this ministry. Father, we thank you for our country. We thank you for the blessings and the freedoms we enjoy. We thank you for um, all your goodness to us. We pray for our prime minister, our members of parliament, our premier, the members of the Ontario legislature. We pray for local officials as well, that you would bless these men and women, may they see that they are servants of God and that they will give an account one day of this ministry and this servanthood. And we pray that that would humble them, that that would frighten them, and that they would seek the Lord and seek to be uh, truly saved um, ministers of our country. We thank you for your divine providence. We thank you that all of our days are written down in your book before one comes to pass. And we thank you that we're not in the hands of a dictator or a despot or a tyrant, but in the hands of our loving Heavenly Father, who has ordained all things for the good of his children. We thank you that your design for us and your purpose and goal for us is nothing less than to be like Jesus and so we thank you for those pressures that come upon us that expose and then remove uh, more aspects of our sinfulness. And we thank you for those of us who know Jesus that you're making us less and less like ourselves and more and more like your son. We pray you'll bless our worship. Uh, we come unworthy. We're aware of how far we fall short of your holy standard. But we always bring to our worship the Lord Jesus Christ. He's everything that we should have been, and he's everything we one day will. For 
So it's in His name we worship and praise and sing and give and pray. Bless us and make us a blessing for Jesus' sake. Amen. Again, we welcome you. Pastor Don, Lord Well, as always, it's a real blessing and privilege for Marlene and I to be here. I was looking in the bulletin, and I wish I was coming next week, because Brad's going to be here and Josh, but uh, you're stuck with me this week. But uh, please take your Bible and turn again to the book of 1 Corinthians and the very last chapter. If you're not quite sure where that is, it's just before 2 Corinthians. And chapter 16 is just after chapter 15. I'm sure you're very aware that there's a number of markers that kind of space out the year for us and kind of orientate us. One of the most obvious ones is, of course, New Year's Day, the beginning of a new year. And um, we kind of have some regrets, but hopefully we also have some resolutions that these next, this next year will be a better year for us uh, in our maybe our health, maybe in our finances, but hopefully especially in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's other markers, some that you may not want to remember too well, like birthdays. It's funny, when you're young, you can hardly wait till the next one comes. And I'm not sure what that age is, but you get a certain age, and you wish the next one would never come. But uh, they do come, don't they? And if you're married, there's a wedding anniversary. And there's the Labor Day weekend. It's that time of year when I was a kid that it was kind of a love-hate relationship. Uh, a big marker for me was like June 28th or 29th when school was out. And imagine two months of no school, no teachers, no homework. Uh, you could just have fun, fun, fun. But near the end of August, I was kind of hoping school would start again because I missed my friends, and I hated to admit it, but I actually missed learning things. Uh, even having fun all the time can be kind of boring, and um, I was always glad when um, Labor Day was over and then we could be back in school. Now, not only does Labor Day kind of mark things for the end of vacations, the starting of school, but I've been a pastor for over 40 years and I know that uh, the Labor Day, once that is over, things start to ramp up in, ter in terms of church again. Um, Maybe Sunday school will start again. Um, if you have children or youth ministries, they'll start again. For many years, we had a ladies' Bible study coffee hour, and uh, that would start up again in September, and other various ministries. And so what I'd like to do this morning is uh, look at this thing called, it's found in chapter 16, verse 10, and it is the work of the Lord. When I read through the passage, you're probably wondering, what is this guy going to talk about? 
Somebody's going here and there, and they might come here, and they don't know if they're going there, and there's somebody else who says they're not going, there's somebody else who's coming, and you better go easy on the poor guy, and all this kind of stuff. But hopefully you'll see by the end of the sermon that there's some very, very important principles with regards to the work of the Lord. And I'm going to mention four this morning, and uh, I hope at least one of them connects with you. Because it's very important after the summer, and it has gone by very quickly for us older folks, hasn't it? I remember how slow summer seemed to be when I was a kid. But from the time I was married to today, I've never been bored in the summer. Summer just seems like a blur, and before you know it, it's the fall again, and back to the routine. And there's something nice about the routine. But we want to, as we look at this passage, derive some very key principles with regards to the work of the Lord. Now, the first thing we want to know is that as we begin back in the fall, it is very important that we imitate the Apostle Paul, who what he did was planned for the future. It's easy for us, and especially as we get older, to kind of get into a rut, isn't it? It's kind of easy to just do the same things over and over again. Uh, I like slipping into an old pair of shoes. I like putting on a jacket that I've worn for years. Um, And there's good things about routine and structure, of course, but we should always, as the people of God, be planning for the future. We should be anticipating that God is going to use us, and we should be seeking, because it's the work of the Lord, it's therefore not a work that's in vain, it's a work that is going to accomplish eternal things. No other work will be like that. Only the work of the Lord will last when this world is no more. Only the work of the Lord will have eternal ramifications and benefits because it's the work of the Lord. And it's very, very important that I see that I just, you know, I'm 74 now, and I've been saved almost 57 years next month, and it's easy just to kind of get into the routine and the rut of doing the same thing again and again. And I'd like to ask you this morning, and maybe you haven't thought about it yet, you're still... I was going to say recovering from the picnic, but that sounds terrible. But you know what I mean. But what are your plans for 23-24? That is in terms of the work of the Lord. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing to a very dysfunctional church. Not like Berean and Sudbury, but these guys and gals are crazy. I've been in a lot of churches in my 57 years but I've never been in a church like Corinth. You know, people are suing each other. People are messing around with other people. People, There's all kinds of crazy nonsense going on in this church in Corinth. But Paul writes to them, and he encourages them, he instructs them, he rebukes them. And as he finishes this letter, he'll write at least two more letters, 
we have one of them, which is Second Corinthians, he is going to lay out his plans for the next 12 months because they're part of his plans. Now, that's what we want to see in this first section about planning for the future. We need to have plans. And I'll just kind of summarize what uh, his plans are. Right now, not September the 10th, 2023, but in about 60 AD, and it's probably in the winter, the Apostle Paul is in a place called Ephesus. And it's in modern western Turkey. It was part of the great Greek empire. And then it became part of the great Roman empire. And uh, the Apostle Paul ministered in that area. Because I'm going to throw out some names of churches that I think you will be familiar with. And Paul right now is in the city of Ephesus. And it's probably winter. And he is hoping to come and visit the church at Corinth, but he doesn't want to get there right away. Because he's writing this letter, he's hoping if they have some time that the Lord will work through the leadership of that church and they'll begin to straighten out some of the messes that they're in. And so he lays out his plans. What he hopes to do, he's in Ephesus. He hopes to go north. And he's going to stay, it's winter now, he's going to stay in Ephesus till Pentecost. And Pentecost is 50 days after Passover, which in our time is Easter. And Easter, Passover is usually early April. And so he's going to stay in Ephesus <coughs> till around the end of May. And then he's going to start going north. And he's going to visit churches like uh, the Berean church and the church at Philippi and the church at Thessalonica. And then he's going to go into that area and minister. And then he's going to start coming south down to the Sancrean Peninsula to the great city of Corinth. And when he gets there, it will be almost a year from now, in the writing of this passage, and he hopes to stay with them, hopefully, through the next winter. So those are his plans. Now, what are your plans for 23-24? When I was a kid, I loved hockey, and um, it was always interesting because the season started in October, but it went into the next year. And the season was always like this year it'll be 23-24. Baseball was always in one year. But hockey went over two seasons, or over two years, I should say. And um, I could hardly wait to get the schedule. And I hardly wait to see especially who the Leafs were playing on Saturday night. Because Saturday night was bath night. And uh, the sooner you got your bath, got your pajamas on, you could watch the hockey game until the deadline determined by your age. And because the next day was Sunday school, so when you're younger, you got to watch the first period. But that was tricky because they didn't show the first period at first. So you got to watch part of the second period. And then as you got older, you could stay up for the third period 
and so on. You have long-term goals for this coming year? What do you plan to do different? Maybe, maybe it's just an, connecting with some neighbors that you really don't know that well. Maybe it's just have like a coffee and Bible study thing in your home. Uh, maybe it's saying, you know, there's some needs here in this church, and I don't know what they are. I haven't talked to Rial or any of the elders or anything. Um, maybe there's needs for Sunday school teachers, uh, working with the young people, whatever it might be. And you might say, boy, I don't know, that's just not me. But maybe, maybe, maybe you just need to be stretched. And uh, maybe you can't teach the Bible publicly, but, you know, wherever Baptists gather, there's need for food and, um, you know, some cookies and drink for the kids or whatever it might be. Do we have long-term goals and expecting God to stretch us this year and use us? A preacher came to Charles Spurgeon once and he says, boy, not too many people seem to get saved every time I preach. And Spurgeon said, would you expect people to get saved every time you preach? And he says, well, no. And Spurgeon said, there's your problem. Are we expecting God to use us? Are we anticipating, because this is the gospel, because it's the work of the Lord, because it's the work of the Spirit, are we expecting God to use us in connecting with people and seeking to share the gospel and, and just giving a cup of cold water in the name of the Lord? So we are to have plans. And it might be wise, if not this afternoon, but sometime in the next week or two. What do you plan for the next year in terms of the work of the Lord? But notice, not only do we have our plans, but at the end of verse 7, Paul says, this is what I'd like to do. I'd like to go north, visit these churches, then start swinging south and come to Corinth. If the Lord permits. We have our plans, but they're all sent to head office, aren't they? I can't remember a year since I've been saved that worked out like I planned. And often it's been changed pretty radically. And I am not the boss. In a sense, I send all of my ideas to head office. And uh, it has to be received and approved, of course, by the Lord of the church, Jesus Christ. And, and, and sometimes we don't plan because we're kind of discouraged. Things don't work out like we plan. I'm a planner. I think I said it yesterday. I got a list of my list. And I'm planning out the next month and then, you know, that kind of thing. I'm already planning for preaching next year. But not everything works out like we would like. And if we're not careful, we can get frustrated with the Lord. We can get a little ticked off with the Lord. I won't ask you to raise your hand, but have you ever been ticked off with the Lord? Because he doesn't see things the way you see them and doesn't do things not only the way you want them done, but when you want them. Boy, it's frustrating being a Christian, isn't it? I would say the most frustrating thing about being a Christian is that God is sovereign and he actually does what he wants. 
And part of our growth as believers is to be thinking and planning and working, but always remembering that we have a God who works in mysterious ways his wonders to perform. I knew this couple 50 years ago. They were on their honeymoon. They were going to go to Massachusetts to seminary, and they had a freak car accident on their honeymoon. That couple was Marlene and I. Instead of going to seminary, we went to a place called Woodbridge, and I worked in an IGA grocery store for seven years. I have arthritis as well as my other problems, and I was the dairy and frozen food manager. And we're the friendly IGA, so we carried people's groceries out to the car for them. And not only in the nice days, but the wind and the sleet and the snow and the hail, and that's especially when they wanted you to carry out their groceries. Now, I've been to school a lot, but you know the best seven years of schooling I ever had? was at the IGA grocery store. And so we have our plans, but we're always submissive to what the Lord permits. So, first of all, we're to plan for the future. But notice the second thing about Paul, with regards to the work of the Lord, he's going to persevere in the present. Look what he says in verse 8, after saying, Um, I'll read verse 7. I don't want to see you now, just in passing. If he came to Corinth now, he'd have to just drive through. Cup of coffee and a donut kind of thing, but there's too many problems in this church for a little drive-through visit. So, he says, I hope to spend some time with you in verse 7, if the Lord permits. But, verse 8, and buts are always important in the Bible because they're contrasts. But, I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost. He's in Ephesus. It's probably the winter. Pentecost, as I said, will be the latter part of May. Now, for some of us, it's easy to get in a rut. But for some of us, we have itchy feet. We're kind of bored with what we're doing now. We always want something new or exciting or different. And different personalities, different temperaments, all kinds of things go into making me, me, and you, you. And Paul says, if I'm going to do the work of the Lord effectively, I must persevere in the present. That is, I need to stay where God has put me right now. Grow where you're planted. And he says two things about where he is right now in verse 8. He says, first of all, there's a wide door in verse 9. A wide door for effective work has opened up to me. Where you are right now is a place of opportunity. And what happens is that we're so used to being in that place that we don't see the opportunities that are around us. You don't have to raise your hand, but... Have you ever driven down your street? And of course, you have hundreds and hundreds of times. And as you're driving down the street one day, have you ever noticed a house that was never there before? Yeah. Or a building or something. Now, it's always been there. 
but you just haven't seen it, have you? I don't know how that works, but it, it's always amazed me how I miss so many things. And especially when you're growing where you've been planted. And it's very, very easy for us to miss opportunities. It, it may just be that neighbor next door. It may be a family member. It, it, there's, and Paul says, you know, I'm in Ephesus, and there's a wide door of great opportunity for me. Because you need to remember that God is omnipresent. What does that mean? He's everywhere. He's, he's, most of God isn't over in Korea or something. All of God is everywhere. And God is at work everywhere. And it's easy in our culture to think this thing's going to hell in the handbasket. Rather than saying, you know, as bad as the days are, there are great opportunities out there. I, I went to school, public school, with a thousand kids. I don't remember one kid committing suicide. Hmm. That ain't true today, is it? For 18 years, we lived in a little place called Binbrook, and uh, our kids went to a little public school. There were about 240 kids. Uh, sometimes we had Christian principals. Sometimes we had Christian teachers. It was a great place to grow up. Do you know what? third to a half of those kids who went to that school were in non-normal homes. When I went to public school, I knew one kid, now I didn't know all the kids, but one kid who was from a divorced home. <laughs> How's that today? Absolutely astounding. The need is everywhere. And I have to open my eyes, have God work in my heart so that I maybe see things that I haven't seen before. Now the other side is, notice in verse 9, where there's open doors and opportunity, there is also opposition. Verse 9, for a wide door for effect of work has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Great opportunities Many problems. Now that's what discourages most of us in the work of the Lord, isn't it? It's the problems. It's the oppositions. It's the difficulties. And, and most of us are kind of hardwired to kind of see the problems first. I stood at the door thousands of times, I guess, over the years, and I'm not asking for a response at the end, but 25 people can come through and say, Don, good sermon. One guy comes through and says, boy, that stunk. And I, and I never thought you'd get over. Now, when I go home that day, what do I think about? The 25 people that were blessed or the poor person who had to endure me for whatever it was? And, and those things, uh, surveys, and I don't know how they do them, but they say that the average pastor leaves a church with less than 15% of the people wanting him to leave. But he doesn't think that. 
He thinks, nobody loves me. Nobody wants me to be here. So maybe there's a better church somewhere else. And we need to be very realistic that there's opposition because it is the work of the Lord. And and behind all these things that we see in our culture, there is an arch enemy, the devil. And he is hell-bent and determined. And I'm not saying that loosely. He is determined to destroy the work of the Lord. And one of his greatest tools is discouragement. What's the use? How long have we been looking for a pastor? Why are we just grinding this out and we're just... You know, and boy, this and that, and you know, and and it and it's easy. It it it's easy to be discouraged by the problems and not see the great door of opportunity. So very quickly, because I don't want you to stand, go by, and say, "Boy, that stunk," and it took forever to say it. <laughs> Thirdly, the third principle about the work of the Lord is, I have to play on the team. I have to be a team player. Look look what it says in verse 10. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he's doing the work of the Lord as I am. Let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace. Now, can you imagine our brother Real getting up before I preach this morning and say, you know, next week we're having Pastor Brad. Go easy on the guy. Like you know, I, I don't want him to be discouraged. But Paul says, Timothy's coming, and you guys, you better back off a little bit. Because okay? he, he's kind of a timid guy. We're not all the same personalities, aren't they? Um, there have been times where Marlene and I have been in a situation, and somebody comes by and they don't shake our hand, and Marlene will say, I wonder what I did wrong. And I'll say, I wonder what that guy's problem is. Because uh, we see things differently, don't we? and we have personalities. And some of us are maybe alpha males, and others of us are like Timothy. He has nobody like Timothy. But he is a more fragile personality. He He's easily intimidated. He's, you know, he... And we don't know why. I guess the psychiatrist could say, well, he was raised by his mother and his grandmother, which is wonderful. He learned the gospel from them. But maybe there's factors there. Who who knows? We can find reasons for everything, can't we? But the reality is we're not all the same. And isn't that good? But the problem with the work of the Lord is it's about people. And ministry would be wonderful if it wasn't about people, wouldn't it? You know, if it was building a gym, it was, you know, handing out tracts. The, the, the problem with any of that stuff is that invariably it involves people. And people are the biggest problem on this planet. In fact, that's why Jesus came. And it's not just because of personality types. It's because whatever your type of personality, there's sin involved. Now, it's not sinful to be a quiet, nice, sweeter kind of person. 
But I have sin in that. It's not sinful to be a strong personality who has a vision and who can see things. And, but that's got to be tempered because there's sin. And the difficulty is that everybody you work with in the church is a sinner in progress, aren't they? You know, if I got up here and say, you know, we're moving to Sudbury, I'd like to join this church. I'm a wonderful guy. I can't remember the last time I've sinned. You would say, I, I don't think we'll accept you as a member. Why? Because you know what's required to be a member in this church? You have to be a sinner. You have to admit, you have to come out with your hands up and say, I have no righteousness of my own. My only hope for heaven is Jesus. And that's how I'd get in, but heaven forbid if I acted like that after I got in. I thought you were a Christian. Why are you sinning? Well, the requirement for being a Christian is to be a person who sees their sin and who says they have nothing going for them but Jesus Christ and his righteousness. And the problem is people. Now we need to remember God loves people. <clears throat> Jesus Christ died for people. We were learning a little bit about it in Sunday school. When this is all over, everything's gone except what? People. And people are the only thing that will live forever. And I have to work on a team that has very different personality types. And um, I, I've been reading this thick biography on um, David Livingston, <clears throat> an amazing man in many ways. But you know what has struck me? is how difficult it was for missionaries to get along with missionaries, even in the 1850s and 60s and 70s. Most of their conflicts, fighting a lion, you know, getting through the jungle, that was easy peasy. It's working with other missionaries. Now, if you think Timothy's a problem... Let's go to Apollos in verse 12. Remember, Paulus has got his picture in the foyer because the church had Paul, Peter, and Apollos as pastors. And he says, now in verse 12, um, now concerning our brother Apollos, I, Paul, strongly urged him to visit you with the other brothers. But Apollos said, no. He said no to the Apostle Paul. Can you imagine that? Talk about an alpha male, eh? But it wasn't his will at all to come. Now, he'll come when he's ready to come. Paul thinks he should come now. He thinks he shouldn't. He's got other things to do in the work of the Lord. He'll come when he thinks he should come. Now, I tried once or twice to talk back to my dad. That wasn't very successful. But I can't imagine saying no to the Apostle Paul. But Apollos did. 
people. That's the difficulty in the work of the Lord, that it's about people and it's with people. And if I'm going to be involved in the work of the Lord, I need to play on the team. And, and the trouble with God is that he saves sinners. He doesn't save the good people. Not that there are any, but he doesn't save those people. He didn't call, come to call the righteous, but sinners. And, and he saves some of the strangest people. And I want to give you a little news alert. Everybody's obnoxious to somebody. As wonderful as I think I am, if I actually joined this church, you'd be cornering the deacons and saying, hey, what's going on here? We don't mind this guy showing up once or twice a year to preach. But he's a member? And we have to learn to play on the team with people, some people that really rub us the wrong way and irritate us and grate us. And not in the great way, but in the grating way. And so we have to learn to play on the team. So we're planning for the future. We're persevering in the present. We're playing on the team. And of course, there's going to be one more P before we finish. And that is, we are to pursue holiness. You see, the church is not like any other thing in this world. It isn't a business, it isn't a sports team, it isn't a community club, and those things are good in their place, but what is unique about the church is that God saves a bunch of wretched sinners, and he puts them together so that they will be holy. (laughs) Our grandson in western New York got this gift, it's a kind of a box thing. It's, I don't know, I'm not very mechanical. You put stones in it and you put water in it, then you turn it on. And these stones are all rough and everything like that. You turn it on, you leave it there for quite a while. And when you stop it and open it up, do you know what? All the stones are smooth. And the astounding thing about the church is that God saves riffraff like me and people like you. He puts us together, keeps us together. We're bumping into each other and everything else. And when he's through with us, we're going to be like Jesus. Isn't that amazing? There's no other work like that in the world. I hear constantly, we just can't get people to stay and work. They don't like this. They don't like that. They don't. But you see, the Lord saves us. He sticks us together for better or worse. And he says, now, Don, you stick in this thing for 57 years at least. And when I'm through with you, I will present you holy before God. Isn't that amazing? Look what he says here in verse 13 and 14. Just take a couple more minutes. Like we learned yesterday, Paul often ends with just some of these short instructions before he closes. Be alert. Be watchful. Be on guard. Stand firm in the faith. I was sitting in Sunday school today thinking, that guy could be teaching in a seminary. 
you're incredibly blessed to have people who know the Bible and who teach it and who are faithful. And, and your founding pastor was a wonderful, faithful, godly man. He taught the Word of God. And here we are almost 100 years later. And that's still true. And there probably could have been 10 people you could have called as pastor. But what do you want especially? Someone who stands firm in the truth of the faith, don't you? We live in a culture that the church is continually compromising so that they can appeal to the unsaved. And we're to be very careful. We're to be alert. The problem isn't us as a church. We're to work together. We're to love together. We're to live together. We're to labor together because there's the problem out there. We have to reach people for Jesus Christ. Judgment is coming. And it's horrific judgment. And, and we need to be alert. And we need to watch. And we need to stand firm. And we need to be strong. We aren't to grow weary and well-doing. We're not to grow weak and say, what's the use? Hebrews says, watch your knees. I have leg problems. I have to watch my knees. We don't want to be taken out at the knees, do we? We want to be people who are firm in the truth in our generation. Do you know what Sudbury desperately needs? Is the truth of the gospel. Loved, lived, believed, and shared by people who have been transformed by the truth. And notice what it says in verse 14. We're to let all that you do be done in love. Again, it was mentioned in our class this morning what should be unique about us. People should look at us and say, my, how they love one another. Look at these people. They have almost nothing in common except Jesus except the gospel, except the word of God, except the heavenly father, except the power of the spirit. And my, how these people love each other. Isn't the work of the Lord wonderful? He isn't asking us to save people because we can't. That's his work. He isn't asking us to keep the church. That's his work. He's just saying, plan for the future. Persevere in the present, play on the team, and pursue godliness. The church lives and exists so that it might glorify the Father, might imitate the Son, and might supernaturally exhibit the power of the Spirit. And all of this for the glory of the triune God. Well, let us respond to the Word of God, and we will now sing and close with a benediction that should encourage us and strengthen us.